The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for the ultimate gift of yourself that you gave so long ago and continue to give every day in this space and for all of eternity. And we ask that as we pause to reflect and remember on scriptures from long ago, that were written long ago, that they wouldn't be just words or stories about times past, but that they would be your voice speaking in our midst here and now. God, may you speak to us and maybe we be receptive and open to hear and to receive. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Ecclesia on the west side. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Right on. So I think I need to start by saying my name's Wayne. I'm the new guy on staff. And I want to address the elephant in the room and put everybody at ease and just let you know that I'm not about to do some karaoke, okay? So that's going to happen on Christmas Eve. We'll do that. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, We had a lot of fun making that video at the beginning of the service, by the way. But uh, yeah, not happening today. So um, what I do want is to step into a conversation and continue a conversation that we've been having for not only the past couple weeks, but we as a church have been having for many, many years. And this, that conversation of Advent conspiracy, and what does it look like for us to be really intentional and do something distinct and different in this season of Christmas? And if you've been tracking with us, a couple weeks ago, Chris started the conversation by talking about what does it look like for us to worship fully? What does it look like for us to actually celebrate and worship Jesus, whose birth we're celebrating? And he did a great job unpacking that. And then last week, Sean taught and told us about what does it look like for us to spend less in this Advent season. And I love that he talked not, it's not just about the less, it's actually about our spending, right? And how do we spend this Advent season with a goal in mind so that we actually achieve what we're trying to achieve. I thought he did a great job with that. So next week, we're going to talk about what it means to love all. It's going to be a great conversation. We want to make sure you're back for that. But today I get to talk through one of the tenets of Advent Conspiracy, which is to give more. And it feels a little challenging because we just talked last week about spend less, and now we're going to talk about give more. And I'll be honest, the first time I heard this unpacked, I thought, oh, how's that going to work, right? Um, anybody else? Yeah? Like, you know, but, um, oh, just me. Okay. So um, anyways, but as you get into this, I think what you'll find as we enter this conversation, this is one of those ways where we can actually be really intentional And I think it mirrors and matches the gift that was given so long ago. So I want to start this conversation with a question. But in order to get to the question, I feel like I need to get us ready to go. So I'm going to share a clip. Now, I have a disclaimer, okay? So I have a clip from a show called The Ozark. And um, I want to say I found this show because one of my coworkers at Apple, actually several of my coworkers at Apple where I used to work, we're talking about this show, and I could tell in the course of conversations, it was provoking a lot of questions and a lot of thought. It was informing some things. And I was like, well, I, like, I don't want to be in the conversation and I have no idea what they're talking about. So I, I stumbled into this show, and I want to give you a warning. So it starts with the main character finding out that his wife and mother of his children is having an affair, and it only gets worse. So um, 
like, if you decide you want to, like, embark and go on this, uh, you can. Just make sure the kids are in bed before you do, okay? So, uh, but I think this clip is going to actually help us get into this conversation of what does it look like to give more? And so here's a clip from the Ozark. How do we reconcile it? I, I, I don't know that we see it as something that has to be reconciled. Wouldn't you agree, Marty? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the way we see it, we're in the business of bringing prosperity to this lake, of helping to turn it into a year-round tourist destination, of helping our community thrive. And, and isn't that what it means to be a good neighbor? Set a good example for our children? A good person? Obviously, the FBI doesn't see it that way. Or they wouldn't have raided your home and brought you in for questioning, Marty. Well, they, they didn't bring me in. I uh, volunteered. Cooperated? Under duress. How do you figure? They clearly thought you had something to hide because they felt the need to come here in the middle of the night. Well, it was early morning, actually, when they knew you'd least expect them. I'm curious okay so first question where is marty bird in this scene not there right like i think that is the question like where is he right like but it's clear even though his body is physically on that couch right next to his wife in the room where he's being asked questions He's clearly, his mind, his spirit, his ethos, his presence, whatever you want to call it, is somewhere else. So the question I really want to ask is, when was the last time you were Marty in that scene? Where you were physically somewhere and there's stuff happening. And I don't know if you caught the dialogue that was going on in the background about, isn't that what it means to be a good neighbor? Isn't this what it means to be a good person? All that stuff is swirling around, and yet you were someplace else. Anybody, like, maybe that was this week, you know? Like, if I'm honest, it, like, that was me at times this week. And I think part of why this question is so great is I think the holiday season actually intensifies that. Because we've got so much more to do. There's that new shop, that shopping list that we got to hit. Everybody's having Christmas parties from the neighbors down the street to work to all that. There's so much more to do. And it's so easy to get into that and be somewhere, but yet still thinking about, oh, I didn't get this thing off my list. Or, oh, I got that next party. I got to do that. I got to go get this sweater for it. I, whatever it is. And it's so easy for us to not be present in the moment. And as we look back to the story of Advent and the coming of Jesus, there were gifts that were given in that first advent. If you remember, the Magi showed up and they gave gold. They gave frankincense and they gave myrrh. They showed up with some really costly, expensive gifts. But those weren't the most profound gifts that were given on that day. The most profound gift was actually God himself. That he showed up. 
that he stepped into this place. And I want to look at a couple of passages in Isaiah that foretold this coming. First one we're going to look at is in Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 14. It says, the Lord will give you a proof sign anyway. See, a young maiden will conceive. She will give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel, that is, God with us. There will indeed be something godlike about him. He'll be eating curds and honey when he knows to choose what is right and good and refuse what is not. And so as we enter in this Advent season, that is the gift that God said he was going to be with us. And so as we unpack this idea of what it looks like to give more, that's where we're going is, hey, what does it look like for us to actually be the gift and not the thing? So I want to look at another passage in Isaiah, and we're going to turn over to Isaiah chapter 9 and start in verse 2. And it says, The people who had been living in darkness have seen a great light. The light of life has shined on those who dwelt in the shadowy darkness of death. And you, God, will make it happen. You bolster the nation, making it great again. You have saturated it with joy. Everyone in it is full of delight in your presence. Like the joy they experience at the harvest, like the thrill of dividing up the spoils of war. For as you did back in the day when Midian oppressed us, you will shatter the yoke that burdens them. You will lift the load that weighs them down. You will break the rod of their oppressor. It's true, all the fabric of war will go up in flames. The troops' heavy boots that stamped us down and their blood-soaked garb will all be burned beyond recognition or use. There will be a new time, a fresh start. Hope of all hopes, dream of our dreams. A child is born, sweet-breathed. A son is given to us, a living gift. And even now, with tiny features and dewy hair, He is great. The power of leadership and the weight of authority will rest on his shoulders. His name? His name will know in many ways. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Dear Father, Everlasting, Ever-Present, Never-Failing, Master of Wholeness, Prince of Peace. Again, this idea of the child, the son, was the gift, a living gift. His presence come to be with us. So as we unpack this idea, I actually think... It reminds me of my eighth grade basketball team. So my eighth grade basketball team was awesome. And I'm not kidding, we were really good. Uh, we did a scrimmage because we made a bet with our ninth grade team that we could beat them. So we did a scrimmage and we beat them. And then the JV got, got word of that. So we made a bet with them too. And we scrimmaged them and we beat them. <laughs> we were pretty good. And uh, I remember this one day we were going to play a team that we had played before. We played them on our home court, which is down in League City, uh, south of here. And we beat them by, I think, 40 points. I mean, we just blew them away. So we're headed up to Conroe now, uh, way north on 45, to go play on their court. And even when you're really good at something, sometimes you have days where you show up and you just don't have your best. You know what I'm talking about? And we had one of those days, one of those games, where we showed up and we just, we just weren't our best. On top of that, they had two players that they didn't have before. And it was pretty clear after just a little bit, like, these guys could play. <laughs> they were good. 
So it was a totally different game than what we were anticipating getting into. And I will never blame a game on the refs, ever. But I'm just saying, it felt like, <laughs> it felt like we could not get a call. And so it's that moment where you can realize, okay, we're just going to have to be sharper than, than we were. And we just weren't ready for it. Does that make sense? So coming from League City all the way to Conroe and junior high basketball, you don't get the prime time. So the game starts at like five, right? I can remember looking over at the visitor section and it being completely empty in the gym, not a soul there. So it felt like all this, like this whole wave of people, the refs, the new guys, like everything was just bearing in against us and we were on our own. And I can remember about midway through the third quarter, coach subs me out, hey, why don't you take a seat? And I sit down on the bench to get some water and you know, just, just switch things up, get a, get a bit of fresh air so we can come back for the fourth quarter. And the door to the gym opens up and in walks my dad. And what you need to know about my dad is at sporting events, he tends to be pretty vocal. <laughs> to the tune that my mom will often not sit with him uh, because like he, you know, like he's going to get into it. So there were plenty of times where I thought, oh, dad, please just stop, you know, <laughs> like, but I can tell you in this moment when we saw him walk in, the guy sitting next to me on the bench just elbows me and says, I am so glad your dad is here. And what I can tell you is that for the next 20 minutes or so, however long was left in the game, my dad made his presence felt. <laughs> and I'd love to tell you that we won that game, but we didn't. Couldn't pull it out. It was close all the way to the stretch, but we just didn't have enough. But it told me so much about my dad that he was the only person who showed up to the only game we lost all year. And if you ask me to this day, how do you know that your dad loves you? That story is going to come to my mind. It was so relational, right? It was like a gift. And he didn't wake up that morning knowing uh, that today was going to be a moment where he got to prove his love for me. He just knew my son loves basketball. He's got a game. So I'm going to go. And he rearranged his work schedule. He was intentional about it, right? And any of you who've ever sat in traffic on 45 know it was sacrificial, right? It cost him. So, but I think at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about, right? That's the kind of gift that God gave us, a very intentional, relational, sacrificial gift where he said, I'm not going to sit in some place and wait for you to come find me on your path to enlightenment. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come be with you. And it proves that he loves us. And it changes everything. That moment where you begin to realize, I don't have to earn that. There's not enough good that I can do. I don't have to be smarter. I don't have to be more attractive. His love is already given, and it's just waiting to be received. And I love that idea of the presence of God. And you could have so many plays on words, right? Because you got presence, C-E, as the actual gift or this idea of the present being the gift. Like, how do we be more present with people? So there's a lot of different ways I think we can unpack that idea of how do we now take the presence of God that's in us and let that be the gift that we now give to others. 
So last week, I was talking to one of our pastors on staff downtown. His name is Paul Randall. And Paul has an 11-year-old son named Luke. Uh, if you guys have been tracking on the, yeah, that's him. So uh, this was actually Luke's birthday. And uh, you can see how excited Luke was. Uh, so Paul was bragging about how many hugs and how many times Luke had told him he loved him that day and everything. And we're like, well, like, what'd you do? What was the story? He said, well, it's his birthday. So he woke up and we had some gifts and like, he thought it was okay, right? Um, but what really did it was when I showed up at his school for lunch. It probably helped that he brought Chick-fil-A, let's just be honest, right? <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is that our time is so often the best gift that we can give to people. And it meant so much to Luke in that moment. And it, this, this idea boggles my mind. Think about this. The God of the universe who created everything there is, who's all-powerful, who's outside of time, never has to make choices about where he's going to go, who he's going to spend his time with. It's just he's infinite. It is what it is. Actually takes a moment where he steps into a specific moment in time, a specific place, and now makes choices about where he's going to go and where he's going to spend his time. It speaks of the value of time. If you don't believe me, when you're in a conversation, just throw out the letters DMV to somebody, and all of a sudden the idea of time will make so much more sense, right? <laughs> Had to go to the DMV this week. We're not, we're not going to talk about it. But I think that idea of, hey, what if we saw the time as the best gift we could give to people? What would it look like for you to go to lunch with somebody and hand them your phone and say, you get to pick what I respond to for the next hour? Because I'm all yours, I'm present, I'm in this moment, I'm not anywhere else. But if I'm honest, this idea of time and presence isn't just about the present. It isn't just about now. It actually has implications that stretch way into the future. So here's what I mean by that. I, I remember a phone call I got from my mom in April of 2015. I'll never forget it. I was at work, I was working at Apple at the time. And my role at the moment was to build the schedule for the entire team. And we had this system we had to work in. It's called Kronos, which is a terrible name for, like, anything, right? And it kind of, like, speaks of, like, what an intense, like, all-consuming kind of thing this was. And I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means I value effectiveness and efficiency. So when I get into work, like, I am all in. And it takes a lot of effort to, if somebody calls in the middle of that, to like pause and say, okay, like I'm gonna go have this completely other conversation. And if I'm honest, there's plenty of times when somebody calls and I'm like, oh, I don't have the mental wherewithal to like transition, so like it just goes to voicemail. I'm just, just being honest, right? But I can remember being full in and seeing a call from my mom and she doesn't call me very often and I just knew I, I need to take this call. And I did not have anything I needed to get prepared for what I was about to hear. And I could just tell as soon as I got on the phone, the tone of her voice, everything was different. So she begins to tell a story. And what had happened is my dad uh, was in Dubai, and he was flying uh, from Dubai to Houston. Long story, but um, what we know is that he was experiencing some shortness of breath in the airport and just thought, oh, that's weird. I'm going to book an appointment with the doctor when I get home and just kind of like caught his breath and went and got on the plane. And about seven hours into the flight, 
it came back and intensified and intensified. And it became clear that he was having a heart attack on a plane flying from Dubai to Houston. And what unfolded is nothing short of a miracle. So that at the time was the only plane in the world that had an EKG machine on it. It was the first time they ever used it on a passenger. Somehow they were able to, by miracles of science, they were able to like relay the, the information down to the ground, some medical team, and they were able to get the message back of like, you need to make an emergency landing. So they make an emergency landing. Um, my dad will tell you he can remember a couple of things, and one of them being the pilot coming over the, the loudspeaker and doing the PA announcement of, okay, so we're about to make an emergency landing. Uh, we weigh too much to, to land right now, so we're going to be jettisoning some fuel. So if you see fuel spewing out of the wings, don't be alarmed. It's totally normal, you know? And they, uh, they're able to land in Iceland. Uh, they were able to go in through an artery in his wrist. By the way, he had a 99% blockage in the LAD, which is the coronary artery that supplies over two-thirds of the heart that you're the blood that your heart needs in order to pump. It's called the Widowmaker. Uh, but they were able to go in and put in a stent and open it up. Didn't even have to open up his chest, and he was fully recovered in six weeks. It was absolutely a miracle. But I can remember, remember my mom just telling me, hey, like, your dad's okay, right? But we just got to figure out the details. How am I going to get to Iceland? What are we going to do with my passport? And, like, what, what do the next weeks look like? So I was kind of scared, kind of relieved. I remember um, pulling up my phone after I got off the phone with her and looking up, find my friends. And I zoomed in to his exact spot in Iceland. And the airport was literally right, like you go out the airport around a fence and there's the hospital. <laughs> like all the details of this, just like it's, it's miraculous. But I can remember going home that night and talking with my wife and just telling her what was going on. And it scared me. It really did. Because I never met my grandfather, my dad's dad, because he passed away of a heart attack in his 40s. And my uncle, my dad's older brother, passed away of a heart attack in his 50s. And so it was that moment where you get to almost see this is what the future looks like. And it scared me. I had two young kids, and I just knew, for me, I want to be present with them, with my wife, for as long as I possibly can. So I hadn't been to the doctor in like 10 years. So the next morning I uh, called and I made an appointment to go get a checkup. And while I was in the, in the waiting room, you know, they have magazines. I never read them, but I just decided, well, I'll pick up a magazine. I don't have anything else to do. So I'm flipping through and I stumble across an article put up by the Mayo Clinic, and it says, if you... It was talking about the benefits of, of distance running. And it said if you run two marathons a year, you're 47% less likely to get heart disease. So it automatically had my attention. And it went on to say that you also are 87% less likely to get type 2 diabetes. And so, and that, by the way, is also in the family. So it was kind of that moment where I realized if I'm going to be present with my family for as long as I possibly can, I need to make some different choices. I need to do some things differently. And it's been a long journey. I, I can tell you that uh, I run just about every day, and it started so that I could be, add days to my life 
and it's funny how it actually now adds life to my days as well. But I think that's some of the idea is what does it look like for us to be really present and to do the things that actually take care of our bodies so that when we're with people, we can be with them, not just now for the long haul. And maybe you're like me, maybe you've been putting off going to the doctor. What if the best gift you could give to your family is to say, I'm scheduling an appointment with the doctor? Maybe you've got people that have been asking you to go get your hearing checked or your vision checked, and you're like, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to know, you've been putting it off. But what if the gift to them would be, I want to be present with you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to see what's going on. Or maybe you've got pain in your back or pain in your shoulder or whatever, and you know that when you're with people, sometimes that pain is deafening. What would it look like to take care of that? But here's the reality. For many of us, this idea of taking care and being present and making different choices, for us it is a choice. But there are countless people in countless communities across the world where this idea of being present for the long term, for the long haul, isn't a choice that they get to make. And I've got a video I want to share. It's about a woman named Teresita who lives in El Salvador and whose family has worked in the sugar canes there. Uh, But I think this has a lot to say about this and how we be present. I met my husband when I was 19 years old. He was a musician and he came to my home playing and singing. I can still hear him singing his favorite song, Teresita, Little Teresa, my name. Antonio's legacy goes on when my sons sing their father's song. Today, five generations of my family live in this community and I have helped raise many of the children. Here we are surrounded by sugarcane fields. The pesticides wash into our river and many people suffer from kidney disease. This is how my Antonio died 25 years ago. We know the water is contaminated, but there is no other choice. Every day, My daughter, Dora, could collect water from the hand-dug well near the river. Her husband was a sugarcane worker. Two years ago, he also died from kidney disease, just like her father. Now, my daughter-in-law is very sick, and I'm afraid she will die soon from this terrible disease. I do not have the strength to bury anyone else. This bad dream is coming to an end. I thank God for the new well. Because of the well, my great-grandchildren will never know life without safe water. The next generation will not have to suffer what we have.
they can grow up to be healthy. The memory of the water that made us sick will fade, but we will never forget this moment. So when we enter this conversation about what it means to give more, it's not, it's not a refusal to give gifts. It's about being intentional to say, I'm not going to continue to give gifts that people will just not remember the next year. And instead saying, the gifts I give are going to be gifts like we just heard about, the kind of gifts that they will never forget. And we got a few different ways that we can partner with that. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember, hey, like part of the gift is our time here with people. How do we give that? If you're looking for ideas on how you can give those kind of gifts, there's literally a Pinterest page on Advent Conspiracy. And if you guys don't know what Pinterest is, you can get all kinds of really creative ideas. I would also recommend take a listen to the podcast that has been the Advent Cop podcast. You can find it on our website. There were stories from several people in our community just talking about how their family did something and they, it allowed them to spend time together, whether it was a scavenger hunt, uh, cooking lessons, different things, but that time that we spend with each other is so often the best gift. And I think that's part of why we partner with places like Living Water is because in a way, even if we never get to go to those cities or those communities, we never get to talk to those people, what we get to give is time that for generations to come, they will be present with their families. They don't have to worry about where they're going to get their water from. And until every community on this earth has access to clean water, we're going to continue to have this be a part of our conversation, part of our Advent season. It's a part of who we are. And so the invitation is for us to say, even for communities and people that are across the globe, God is with us, and because of that, we're with you, even if we never meet you. So Ecclesia, how do we in this Advent season make that choice where we can look at those who are closest to us or across the globe and say, God is with you and I am with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your presence in our lives. That you show up and you declare, you proclaim that you are with us. And it's as simple as a still small voice or the words of a friend. It can even be a billboard that we read. 
but you are speaking and you are present with us. And we ask that you would give us eyes and ears to see and listen to your presence. And we ask that you would help us have open hands to understand that just as you were the gift to us, that you enable us to be the gift to so many others. And may you do even more than we can possibly imagine in this Advent season. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.